The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, quit looking for Scott Guthrie's keynote on Mixology.com and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 430 with guests Brad Abrams and Nikhil Kotari, recorded live Monday, February 9th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, the NRTV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's still looking a little green, Carl Franklin. Thank you, Lawrence. Thanks, everybody. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here. Yes, still a little green around the gills. Losing my voice a little, probably because I've been singing a lot lately. I've been playing out with a, a local band here, and also uh, my brother Jay and I played uh, St. Patty's Day down at Hanfin's Pub with uh, the Franklin Brothers Band, uh, and the first public playing of three or four or five original songs, which um, you'll be hearing more about very soon, as soon as this album is done. Well, let's uh, get right into Better Know Framework. And uh, by the way, Richard will be here in just a minute. He is in Mexico currently as I'm recording this, having a nice vacation before Dev Connections. Uh, Better Know Framework is a little spot that I do where I shine a light on a little corner, a dark corner of the .NET framework. There's so much to learn. And uh, especially in WPF and Silverlight and that system.windows namespace. So that's where we've been focusing our efforts lately. And today's class is really a control in system.windows controls. And it is system.windowscontrols.ink canvas. Ink canvas is just like you think. It's for inking for the tablet PC. It defines an area that receives and displays ink strokes. Now you need to use an ink presenter to actually show that. But this is... Uh, where you receive and display ink, uh, ink strokes. So here's the remarks. An ink canvas is an element that can be used to receive and display ink input. This is commonly done through the use of a stylus, 
which interacts with a digitizer to produce ink strokes using a stylus or a mouse. The created strokes are represented as stroke objects and can be manipulated either programmatically or based on user input. The ink canvas enables users to modify or delete an existing stroke. The ink canvas can be bound to a data source. For example, you combine the strokes property to a base 64 encoded string that contains ink data in ink serialized format, that's ISF, or even to the strokes property of another ink canvas. You can also bind properties such as default drawing attributes and editing mode to other data sources. And the example that's there uh, demonstrates how to simulate the use of both a pen and a highlighter on the same ink canvas. It assumes that the root element in the markup language XAML file is a doc panel called root and assumes there's a button called switch highlighter and that both the click and the loaded events are connected to the examples event handler. Check it out. That's the ink canvas control in system.windowscontrols. Well, I'm very excited uh, because our guests today are none other than Brad Abrams and Nikhil Katari from Microsoft. Brad was a founding member of both the Common Language Runtime and the .NET Framework teams at Microsoft Corporation, where he's currently the product unit manager of the Application Framework team, which is responsible for delivering the developer platform that powers rich Internet applications and core innovations in the .NET Framework. Specific technologies owned by this team include parts of Silverlight, the Managed Extensibility Framework, in Windows Forms. Brad has been designing parts of the .NET framework since 1998 when he started his framework design career building the BCL, the base class library. Brad was also the lead editor on the common language specification, uh, the .NET framework design guidelines, and the libraries in the ECMA ISO CLI standard. Brad co-authored Programming the .NET Environment and was editor on .NET Framework Standard Library Annotated Reference, Volume 1 and Volume 2, and the Framework Design Guidelines. Nikhil Katari is a software architect in the .NET Developer Platform Group within DevDiv, or Developer Division, at Microsoft. During his 10-plus years at Microsoft, Nikhil has focused on the web platform and has contributed to the design and development of .NET and ASP.NET since their inception, as well as various features in IIS 7 and Visual Studio products. He's responsible for the server control framework in ASP.NET. He initiated and led the development of ASP.NET Ajax, and now plays a key role in the programming model aspects of the Silverlight platform. He's the author of Developing Microsoft ASP.NET Server Controls and Components, and is also responsible for starting and working on a number of innovative projects, such as WebMatrix, ScriptSharp, the Web Development Helper, and Facebook.net. He has presented at various Microsoft and industry conferences. Beyond a deep passion for developer tools and frameworks, Nikhil is enthusiastic and interested in digital photography, and he blogs at NikhilK.net. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Good to be here. Now, we usually have you, Brad, on when we have something incredible to announce, if I recall correctly. Wow, that's that's excellent. I'm glad I have that reputation. You, yeah, you have a trend every year or so, typically around Mix, yeah. too. You come on and do an announcement of some kind. Yeah, well, you know, we have we have Nikhil to have something we could something kind of newer we can talk about. You want to leave that nugget till the end of the show? Oh no, let's uh, let's start with it, and then we can kind of see where it, see where the conversation leads. So, um, you know, as as, as you know. Um, you know, at Microsoft, sometimes we kind of close on naming and branding at the very last minute, and 
you know, it, it, at this time we're recording this, it's a few, it's, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before mix, so we haven't completely closed on the branding, but just between us, uh, you know, just between your listeners and everything, I thought we could try out kind of a new name for a technology uh, Nikhil and I are working on. Okay. So uh, we're, we're talking about the, uh, the, the name we're talking about is the .NET RIA Services. RIA, Rich Internet Applications. Yeah, so, so what the .NET RIA Services is all about is, is trying to make it significantly easier to build these RIA-style applications. You know, what, what sorts of application-level services should we build to make, to make RIA applications uh, kind of more mainstream? And, and the, the, the play on RIA and .NET is, I think we want to make it much more simpler to go write RIAs on the .NET platform, both, uh, both from a server perspective as well as client perspective. So uh, certainly Silverlight, but not, uh, not just Silverlight. It includes AJAX. We want to take a very broad and inclusive sort of definition of RIA. Um, and and we, we certainly do think um, RIAs are more than just client. It, a good RIA needs a great server backend. And um, with .NET, we've got all the pieces to line up. Okay. So what exactly does this, how does this constitute itself? I think if you look at um, a lot, I'm sure lots of uh, ASP.NET apps that you've uh, kind of built today, a lot of them um, have, have a direct connection to the database. So all from the mid-tier, the UI part connects directly to the database. Um, what, what we're seeing with lots of RIA-style applications, both AJAX and Silverlight, is that is that that part half that UI tier moves to the client? So then, how do you do that communication channel over the uh, over the network? How do you uh, have a programming model that's as simple as the two tier ASP.NET model, uh, but supports more of an in tier architecture? And I, I actually like to just throw in a little bit personal uh, note there, which is I've I've kind of been in the ASP.NET space for a very long time and. The last couple of years have been in the civil rights space, and I kind of see it natural to kind of bring those two worlds together. It's kind of like a mm-hmm. personal quest, mm-hmm. um, and and you know we want to marry those two things together, and this is where it all started. Well, we've always had sort of an ugly tiering model for sophisticated web apps. That's right. That's right. And I think if you were an enterprise architect, uh, you can figure that out. You know, you could plan the project out and build the UML diagram or whatever the the, the network topology. I think if you're more of the breadth developer, more of the kind of standard line of business developer, it's been a lot harder to get your head around how to do that. And, and so in a lot of ways, uh, the .NET RIA services is about democratizing that sort of style. And, and we hope that while we're doing, while we're doing that and making things simpler, that we're, we're hopefully making some uh, choice is much more easy uh, to understand um, in terms of how you go about building these apps, and you more naturally sort of fall in the pit of success. Um, if you follow a certain set of patterns that have been uh, generally well taught through, um, overall your application will, will be architected better, will scale better for as your needs grow, as, your, as, your, as the size of your application grows. So are we talking about Silverlight as a client uh, technology then? Is that the main way this is going to happen? I think that's a good question. I, I certainly think Silverlight is going to be a really popular client for this. Um, we, we're already seeing lots of line of business apps starting to investigate using Silverlight. 
But, you know, I, I, we have a ton of developers building ASP.NET web forms and ASP.NET MVC apps. I think those are going to be great clients. Um, Ajax continues to be very strong, so I, I expect to see some of that as well. Okay, so, I mean, and the reality is this is a product that works across these different clients. So is it entirely on the server? Well, the, um, a part of the product runs on the server. The, the code that you would write in a middle-tier scenario would runs on the server, but then it, um, it can um, work for a different sort of presentation tiers. Uh, Brad mentioned Silverlight and Ajax. Those are clearly uh, two very important technologies. We also actually think this applies to um, regular desktop clients developed in WPF. Um, and in the future, uh, uh, mobile applications as well. In fact, it's not that far of a future. It's happening today. Um, and so we, we certainly think of being able to project your, um, your business logic and being able to leverage it from a variety of different presentation tiers is, is key. And while building the server piece, we don't, we don't try to special case any one of them. Um, we'll clearly look at each presentation platform and try to, you know, um, provide value in that presentation platform to make it very easy, and, and we'll do one piece at a time. Okay. So maybe we should talk about some real concrete scenario. You know, right. one thing that I think is hard, if you take a Silverlight app today, and just take a standard line of business scenario, you have 10,000 records on the server, and you want to provide basic CRUD operations for that on the client. Um, that's a pretty, uh, you know, just even how do you put a data grid that lists those 10,000 items? Um, I mean, clearly you don't want to download all 10,000 items to the, to the client. Uh, not only would it waste server resources and network bandwidth, it's probably not the right user experience either. Um, so the first thing we do is provide uh, kind of a paging type of model, so it's very easy to page the, the data in, but we do that in a way that um, sorting and filtering uh, works seamlessly as well. So you can literally go in and sort a data grid, and it doesn't sort just the records you have locally. Maybe you only have 20 locally. You uh, can sort by one of the columns, and it actually remotes the query back to the server, sorts them there, and brings the results back. Essentially what we have going on is we're using the power of link to be able to uh, describe and shape your data, and then we can take that link query, uh, remote it to the server, run it on the, on the server where the query gets uh, set all the way to the database, so you've, you're uh, getting sort of the best performance out of the overall system. Okay. And this is how we're trying to look at, you've got, you've got multiple tiers, you've got the client tier, and you've got the server tier, and the database tier. How can we um, connect them up in more meaningful ways um, uh, as opposed to kind of putting, um, you know, thick walls in between them um, as, as part of this overall project. How did this idea come about? Well, you know, we, um, it, it, you know, they say uh, organization dictates architecture. Have you heard that before? <laughs> yeah, and, I like, have. You know, whatever political structure you put in place within a company kind of influences what, what architecture kind of falls out. Um, and we, we, you know, that's not always true, but that's, that's the case sometimes. So we had, until very recently, we had the ASP.NET team together with um, kind of parts of the Silverlight team. And, and you know, kind of looking at, at how we evolve 
what customers are wanting within ASP.NET and what customers are wanting within Silverlight, um, having these teams together really gave us a chance to think about that cohesively. And so, um, so that sort of marrying of a ASP.NET programming model and the client programming model is, is what led us here. Well, and, and it seems like word on the street is Silverlight 2 is very cool, but still pretty tough to develop in. Yeah. What, what, why, where, uh, what are some things that you hear about Silverlight 2? I think the main thing is the struggle with tooling, that you, you really are always in the plumbing yourself to make things work. Yeah, and in, in I think uh, Visual Studio 10 is a great response to that. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll have to see how that how that works out, but... Um, but it's certainly, from what I've heard about Visual Studio 10, it makes uh, development a lot easier. Yeah, so we are we are absolutely adding a uh, um, interactive designer to for Silverlight in in VS 10. Um, and the, and the other things we're doing is is you know really broadening out the control set that's available for Silverlight, so there'll be a, a, a lot richer set of controls. Um, and then you know with this .NET Rio Services project, we're looking a lot harder at um, you just just take the set of application level concepts that ASP.NET has today and apply those to Silverlight. So, for example, um, built-in authentication, uh, yeah. you, whether it's uh, NTELM or it's basic auth, ASP.NET has a great way to handle that today that a lot of customers are using. And with Silverlight, you sort of are left to roll it yourself. So uh, in addition to sort of these uh, uh, authentication type things, in, in the UI space, uh, we're providing features like navigation, validation, uh, you know, uh, data uh, controls like we've, all, we've had the data grid, we're adding more to that um, to get, you know, better uh, forms over data kind of scenarios. Um, and these are, these are things that, um, in fact, people sort of take for granted in technologies like ASP.NET and Windows Forms. Um, and we're and and their absence certainly makes things harder than um, and we're, and we're trying to address some of those things with uh, both Silverlight three as well as .NET Rio services. Huh. so Brad, one of the concerns I've got with all of these new uh, web development methodologies is their sort of resistance to search engine optimization. Uh, I think Silverlight certainly concerned. Huh? Does Rio do anything about this? Yeah, so um, so that's one of the items that, that we've been thinking a little bit about um, because I think a good solution to the SEO, to search engine optimization, re you really need to leverage strengths in both the client and the server. Um, and, and, and so I think it's a really good proof point for the general architecture that we're trying to build with, with the .NET Rio services. So the... Um, the general problem today with a Silverlight app is that if a search engine goes to the app, well, uh, first off, uh, the problem with Silverlight today is there's no real way to deep link within the Silverlight app. You right. can't. Um, you can get the URL to the Zap, but uh, or to the page containing the Zap, but it, you can't. You know, the state within there, a particular screen or a particular set of data being displayed. There's no easy way to handle that. So the first thing we've done is within Silverlight 3, we've built a uh, rich navigation framework that natively supports deep linking and browser integration right within there. Hmm. Wow. So, and that, that's a great, even outside of SEO, I think that's a great feature. You can take these deep links, these URLs, and you can 
uh, IM them to your friend. You can blog it. You can blog them. Someone can click on the link and bring open the page to exactly the same state. That's huge. So yeah, I think that's going to be a huge benefit. But then uh, the next part is if you're a search engine and you run across one of those deep links, um, how can you index the content that's on that page? Right. Um, so uh, when a search engine hits that page, oftentimes they uh, they crack open, you know, they, they look at the HTML, and what they see there is an object tag, right, an object tag pointing to a zap. Um, they can't see inside the zap. Um, maybe someday uh, a search engine would, would actually go in and crack the Silverlight app and see the XAML that's inside of it, but that still wouldn't give you the dynamic content that's in there, the content, the data that's downloaded from the server. Yeah, yeah, it does. And quite frankly, that's always been a concern of mine with any kind of enclosed, you know, it was a concern back in the days of ActiveX controls too. Absolutely. ActiveX controls have the problem. Um, ClickOnce apps, yep. XFAPs, yep. uh, AJAX apps suffer from exactly the same problem. You wanna... So, uh, I mean, I think the, the reality is there isn't a, a huge sort of magic to getting SEO. It's, I actually think, I actually describe it um, a couple times in the past as you basically need to answer the where and the what. Where should the search engine look? You want to be able to have the, the deep links, kind of like what Brad was describing, so that you, you have URLs for all the meaningful entry points for your application and all the data is all nicely um, exposed as, as separate URLs. So that, that addresses the where, and you can, um, you can educate the search engine both through uh, links that people uh, blog about or share as well as sitemaps. And the second thing is, is the what. And which is once the search engine follows one of these links, what does it look at? And this is where Brad was describing you have an object tag. Well, now what we, we can do is leverage the power that you have on the server and actually generate alternate renderings that are um, exact replicas of what the, person, what the end user would see in the Silverlight application. However, it's expressed as uh, sort of valid semantic HTML that search engines understand natively. <laughs> wow. Um, this is sort of the, the, the general principle. It's, it's telling the search engine where to go look and making it very easy for applications to go publish those links, as well as uh, telling the search engine what to go look and, and index, and, and making it very easy for applications to deliver those alternate views um, uh, of, of your application. That's very cool. That is very cool. So the deep linking element works with this. So I put a deep link on my blog. It then points. They, of course, search engines look for those things, right? Yes. So then they go and poke that, and you give them back something they can digest. Now, okay. when, when the user goes to click on the link in the search engine, though, it brings them to the rich application? That's exactly right. And, and the key thing there, the very, the very fundamental key thing there, the, the sort of the golden rule is that you deliver the same content that the end user would see. Right. Um, you were just expressing it in, in a sort of uh, markup form that is natively understood by search engines. So this isn't a technique to, um, you know, deliver one thing to search engine and show something else to the end user. Right. Absolutely not. It's about, it's about showing the same piece of data. Oh, okay. Engines get very upset if you have them index something different than you show the user. So we want to make sure we provide a model that it's the same content. 
And so on the architectural front, kind of what Brad was alluding, this is a test of our architecture. We're providing a model for writing some data access code or some business logic code uh, that can be uh, used across a variety of presentation tiers. But one of them is a actual Silverlight application or an AJAX application that um, gets at that code uh, via a web service call. Well, yet another presentation here is basically uh, your traditional sort of uh, uh, rendering out HTML on the server and projecting it down to the client. And so we basically built a system where you can go write your data access logic code once and, and serve both your Silverlight front end as well as generating an alternate HTML rendering. Um, so that's, that's sort of our first step in terms of uh, reducing the duplication that you have to otherwise go do to get meaningful SEO. Okay, so guys, if we can do that, are we now talking about a sort of down-level browser option for a Silverlight app? Well, you know, I don't know if I would spin it exactly that way, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you're building a data-intensive application and you encapsulate a lot of your business logic using the .NET RIA services, then the UI tiers become much easier to put on. The way the way to think about this is the down-level rendering that you're creating um, is mostly pure data, not a lot of interaction. So, so it's good for read-only displays. Right. Uh, if if all you're doing is displaying data without any um, actual uh, user interaction around editing or, or, or you know, um, fancy visualization, then you kind of have a down-level experience. In fact, um, and, and Brad and I have talked about this a couple times, uh, this is a, a perfect way to get printing for your silver applications. Uh, if I'm viewing a particular screen of data and I want and I want to let the user go print it, well, what I can actually do is, is pop up a, a browser window that actually contains the download rendering for that particular piece of data that they're currently viewing in the Silverlight application, and then they can use the browser's print function. That's clever. It's got to be a big challenge, though. I mean, what if you've got something like a you know a very complex screen with a video, and um, you just you're just decomposing the the UI? Well, so this is there are certainly uh, uh, some uh, limitations and some realities in terms of the the constraints that that you live with. Uh, and which is why it kind of goes back to it's good for uh, displaying static versions of your data, um, not not interactive uh, kind of stuff where like whether it's you know whether it's movies or some other kind of editing. Uh, for example, if I'm viewing uh, a list of a list of um, uh, objects in a grid, for example, or in, in some other sort of list form, it's reasonably straightforward to get a a print view off that. That might not be the same thing that you see on the screen, but it is functional from the perspective of it's got the data that the user wanted to go print. So just to be clear, we're not talking about parse the XAML and create an HTML version of the XAML. Right. Um, that, I've seen some projects like that. That, that is interesting, that, but that's not what we're doing. We're saying encapsulate the data access and the model of the data in a high enough level way that you can, um, you can easily build a Silverlight client as well as a standard space HTML client. All right, so so the standard HTML client won't be as functional, but it'll be accessible from yeah. from web. From, one from of the exciting engines. things I think about the the HTML client is you get to use the pow, the full power of ASP.NET. So, for example, when you build that one, I, I think um, using ASP.NET dynamic data is going to be a very interesting model for doing that. 
where um, we're actually sharing the, the exact same data model that dynamic data sort of introduced with this model. So you can um, easily build out those web pages uh, and customize them exactly to the extent that, that your solution needs them to be customized. Does that make sense? Um, and, I mean, of course, the main purpose here is the search engine. So how, how do you know which one to display? Um, you don't, actually. And that's, that's part of the... And that's part of the model. Very explicitly, you never, you never go about trying to detect who the client is. You are, you're always sending down um, the the data that corresponds to the particular URL and the Silverlight application, which happens to be a viewer, so to speak, for that data. Okay. Uh, it, it's independent of the incoming request. And so the other element I'm thinking about here is when it is. Uh, going to go into Silverlight mode and we're deep linking like this, I'm probably going to have some security constraints and I'm going to need to redirect them to a login page or something along those lines. Absolutely. I mean, if, you're, if your data itself is um, uh, not available in an anonymous way, right. then you want to think about the authentication um, for within your Silverlight application. Now, one of the nice things about authentication is that we're building on top of the same sort of model that works with AJAX and HTML and basically basically the web. So if you've got if you're authenticated with respect to your ASP.NET site, we'll pick up that in that context and um, it, uh, sort of allow you to use that same authentication session from within your Silverlight application. So you don't have to go log in twice if you're building a hybrid site, for example, that has both HTML content and Silverlight content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and more generally, the way we think about it is less about can I navigate to this page or not, although we have some UI constructs for that. It's more about am I, as a user, am I authenticated to access this data, regardless of whether I come in from an ASP.NET page or a Silverlight page or whatever. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The, the authentication is at the data level. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik. And when it comes to testing web applications, usually you have two options. Do it manually, which is hard and takes forever, or use automated testing software, which is quite expensive and rarely does a good job with modern AJAX applications. And all of this is destined to change with Telerik's new automated testing solution, Web UI Test Studio, which promises to bring a new era of automated testing to the masses. The product is offered in partnership with Art of Test, the experts in quality assurance technologies. Telerik Web Test Studio is specialized for testing ASP.NET applications, especially ones with rich AJAX and client-side functionality. What's more, it's fully integrated in both Visual Studio Team Suite and Professional Edition, making it easy for developers and QA to collaborate. To top it off, the studio ships with special wrappers for the Telerik Ajax controls, which expose control-specific test actions. Web UI Test Studio is ready for the future, with Silverlight testing features coming soon. Check it out at telerik.com. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So, I want to ask you about Silverlight 3, but before we get into that, why don't we just sort of summarize what we've talked about already with Alexandria in recap. You mean the .NET RIA services? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe we should connect the dots between the code name and the product name. Yeah. So we did. We talked at PDC um, in October. We talked a little bit about some of this early thinking we had around the uh, around this. And 
we were we, we didn't want to accrue a bunch of value to a code name, so we, we didn't give it a code name. We just oh, okay. said this is some stuff we're thinking about for the future. Um, and and I think a few people were smart enough to see what the namespaces were in the samples and uh, kind of go figure that out. So uh, yeah, so people did start using a particular code name to talk about this. But yeah, now now we're now we're coming up. Well, we're closing on the name. Uh, probably it'll be the .NET Rea services. Uh, and you are the one famously quoted as, if there's a good code name, it's a bad product name. <laughs> a bad exactly. code name is a good exactly. product name. <laughs> so now you've given us no code name. So where does this thing, <laughs> where does this thing follow the, the spectrum of things? Yeah, so .NET Rea services, we think that is the product name. I, what I like about it is it actually describes what you're doing. Sure. Yeah, so we tried to go on the air on the model of just describe be more descriptive. And so hopefully we did that. Well, and you managed to leave out the words Windows and Foundation too, right. which I, I appreciate. Well, they were tempted. We, I mean, we definitely had those on the whiteboard. Uh, maybe we'll work them in between now and Mix. <laughs> That's framework too. Yeah. Yeah, we could get framework in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, just at a high level, you know, the .NET RIA services, just to sort of summarize, .NET RIA services is, is about making it significantly easier to build these RIA-style applications that really take the best of uh, a server model and combine that with the best of a client model and uh, bring kind of democratize into your development. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, is it, is it resonating? you have feedback on my pitch? Oh no, I love it. You you're you're addressing issues I've definitely had in dealing with with how I want to architect Silverlight apps. Uh it's interesting to start thinking about how I would use this library in an Ajax app or an a, a regular ASP.net app. That that I have I have to go back and think about that one for a while. Well, and and remember, we're going to be using VS10 again for for this, right? Yeah, so we'll have previews. The preview we're going to give out at Mix will work on top of VS2008, um but but um, probably RTM of this piece will be on top of Dev 10 VS2. Yeah. Do you think you'll actually ship a final version for VS08? Um, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll use the standard Microsoft. We'll listen to customer feedback and see where it comes. One of the just just more generally just thinking about the software development models. Um, you know, I, I I look at what we did with like ASPMVC where. We, we were out in a go-live license for quite a while, and, and customers were able to take and deploy the solution, but we were still in beta, and that meant we were able to take a wider range of feedback back into the product for a longer amount of time. And I think at the end of the day, we've created a stronger offering because of it. So what I'm thinking we're going to do with the .NET RIA services is the same kind of thing, have a broad go-live license. People are able to deploy it and use it in real-world apps. Um, but kind of keep the beta tag on it for a little while longer in order to preserve our ability uh, to respond to more of the customer feedback. That makes sense. So let's talk a little bit more about Silverlight 3. Yeah, so certainly from a um, – uh, let, let, let me take it from a, a kind of business applications perspective because that's where a lot of the focus that, that my team's been working on it is. Okay. Um, one of the things we've done is – is looked at the UI control set that's available in something like ASP.NET uh, and say, like, what's the equivalent of that in Silverlight? Um, it, 
So things like you know, we, we spent some time already talking about a navigation framework. So we're, that's going to be a built-in part of Silverlight 3, a very rich navigation uh, model that supports these deep links and, uh, and whatnot. Um, another one is um, uh, details view. So uh, you know, just like we have data grid today where you can bind to a, set, to a, a model and view the data, uh, a list of data, in a master detail scenario, you often want to view a particular instance of that data without having to worry about lining up, uh, putting every UI element to display that uh, on there. So now you can just put a details view on there and uh, bind it to the current item in the data grid, and now you have a master detail. Nice. Some of the other things we have are uh, validation, which is, I think, um, such a fundamental piece of all these applications. Um, and what we're doing here with validation is something um, uh, something not entirely new. The, the dynamic data folks on ASP.NET already uh, kind of um, started going down this path, but we've heard loud and clear from customers that we don't want to go put validation rules in the UI. That's not where they belong. Um, and so what we're doing right now is giving you the option of putting validation rules in your model as part of your model so that go, wherever your model goes, your validation goes along with it. And we're uh, designing the UI pieces such that they pick up that information from the model that they're binding to. And so we'll have, the, we'll have validation visuals uh, for a start, uh, um, kind of getting, getting the basics into the controls, and then we're going to uh, pick up the rules from your, from your model. So that's, that's a nice um, sort of... Uh, Evolution, so to speak, of, of our data binding and validation stories in in, um, in the platform. Awesome. So uh, we're evolving data grid. So data grid now will support um, hierarchical uh, grouping. Um, so you can display more complex data sources in there. Okay. Um, we'll also support. I kind of alluded to it earlier, but uh, uh, so in, it will support paging of data. So there's a new data pager control that both encapsulates kind of a, a UI gesture for like a VCR-like control to page through data, as well as um, kind of the back-end logic to form those uh, kind of link queries that Nikki was talking about earlier to, to compose over the data. Um, another control we're doing is a data source control. And, you know, people who have uh, used ASP.NET uh, server controls are deeply familiar with the concept of uh, data source controls. Basically, they make data access logic declarative. And so you can drop one of these in your page, uh, tell it, um, you know, here's how I want you to go load data, here's the sorting, filtering, uh, and, so, um, and so on to kind of go apply. And it goes and figures out when to go fetch the data, when, when changes have been made, so you can go and call save, and it will save the results back. So we're, we're, we're offering that control in, um, in the satellite space as well, uh, and that will make um, a lot of uh, application scenarios declarative. Uh, that's not to say we don't support sort of more of a coding style. So if you're if you're into um, you know writing writing this code as part of like sort of a, a, a view model, so to speak, uh, where you where you have all of your client side logic kind of encapsulated into a class as opposed to in, in your view, you can do that too. Uh, but we're trying to um, give you options and and uh, give you the right set of tools so you can go apply them based on the kind of scenario you're building for. Um, so that's another another uh, in, interesting control that's um, that we're going to be making available as part of the .NET RIA services. 
I imagine people ask you guys all the time to try and make the programming model side of these controls as close to ASP.NET as possible. And I imagine that a lot of people think, and quite naively I imagine, that that they should be able to just reuse their code from ASP.NET into Silverlight. But you're talking a server-side technology versus a client-side technology. How 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 much is that resonating in the back of your mind when you're design when you're architecting the programming model? I think the I think the scenarios um, there's huge overlap in the scenarios and, and people are in fact from a scenario perspective very right in thinking about hey I've got this piece of code or this control why can't I use it in a client technology and we've heard that for the last probably eight years right. uh, in terms of ASP.NET versus Windows forms um, the reality uh, and so I fully agree from the scenario perspective. The reality is um, those controls are designed very differently. One's optimized for a stateful um, uh, client, sort of the Windows Forms and, and Silverlight controls, um, where they'll actually bring down data so you, you can go operate on that data as a, as a chunk and, and make use of the fact that you have state on the client. Um, the server controls on the, on the other side are very much designed to operate in a stateless manner, so they... Um, they they don't they aren't alive um, once the page request is done they're gone. The programming model makes it easy to assume that they're stateful. Yes, and that and that was um, one of the primary goals for the server control framework uh, was to kind of uh, create the mental model of a of a VB6 or Windows Forms like application even though it's running on the server. Mm. And so we certainly try to uh, give you that programming model, but the fundamental underlying architectures are very different. Um, on, on, while we're thinking about uh, introducing this data source control in Silverlight, there's certainly a lot of um, experience and, and real-world customer usage kind of feedback that we've collected on, on the data source control model in ASP.NET and similarly for other controls. Uh, we also at the same time have um, a lot of input coming in from um, what's, what's the right way to design these client-side controls so they, they fit naturally into sort of the XAML-based presentation model that we have in uh, Silverlight as well as in WPF. All the things we're doing here will also apply to WPF in the future. And so we, we have to um, um, take in a number of these uh, uh, different sort of channels of uh, feedback and input into the design um, and, you know, rationalize all of them to come up with something that, that makes sense and, and will be the right thing in terms of evolving it for, further in the, in the future. And I imagine there aren't going to be a whole lot of people who have a perfectly working application in ASP.NET and say, hey, why don't we port this to Silverlight just to see what happens? Because I imagine that the, you know, the typical Silverlight application is going to be about rich visuals, right, and interactivity uh, yeah. with graphics. Now, now, the common thing in between all of those applications is, however, uh, a lot of times your data access logic is, in fact, common. Uh, your business logic is common as well uh, in terms of, you know, the operations you can do over the data, uh, the permissions model, the semantics mm. of your data, those are, those are actually, those things permeate presentation tiers. Yeah. And that is actually one of the fundamental kind of um, things driving the overall design. We want to uh, be a little bit more prescriptive than we have been in the past with the framework in terms of how you structure your logic into here's your data access code, here's your business logic, and here's your presentation tier code so that um, so that you can have uh, the option or, or be much more um, prepared to go uh, reuse some of your code um, or hopefully uh, we're hoping a large part of your code 
uh, across the different presentations here is without having to rewrite it all every time you pick a new uh, um, client-side technology. Right. Um, and because people do want to have both an HTML front end, uh, a rich front end, and in the future a mobile front end possibly, where um, where the presentation tier is uh, going to be different, going to leverage the capabilities of that particular platform, uh, be optimized for, for that particular form factor, what what have you, but be able to share the same business logic and, and write it once. So, and and you really see data services being the tool that you, you start building this with? Uh, RIA services? Well, I was thinking data services is the, the uh, what was the former code name of that product? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Astoria thing. I'm Astoria. glad you brought up the Astoria thing. Um, yeah. We are, we are actually doing a lot of uh, work with the Astoria. I, I think Astoria, uh, sorry, ADF.net data service. There you go. It's <laughs> a great way to start to, to build these sorts of applications. It's a very data-centric model. So essentially the model is I have a relational data model with with um, EDM, with uh, the uh, Entity Framework, thank you, um, and I can expose a set of REST interfaces on that. Um, so we the, the one piece of feedback that they've gotten is that we've gotten with that project is is how can I instead of going directly against my data model, um, how can I do things like have some business logic and enforce that you need to be authenticated before you access this, or maybe some business logic that filters out you know, certain records or whatever. Um, and so that's one thing that the .NET RIA services for a, uh, uh, for a story really helps with is. You can actually now go in and just like we were talking about building an ASP.NET app or a Silverlight app, you can also build a set of REST services using the .NET RIA services hmm. and, and Astoria. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is uh, Astoria also did is uh, kind of have a, have a kind of standard for a, a REST-based protocol over the wire, and, and we're using exactly that for for the RIA services case when it goes over the wire. We're, we're just using the uh, the Astoria code for that. Well, and what I like about this is I think we've got a, a clear offering for the listeners. You know, data services is shipped. We can work with it today. Uh, if we start building our apps, utilizing this, in whatever form we're currently building, we've got a right. real nice path going forward as RIA services is available and we start playing with some of the other incarnations of Silverlight and so on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Are there any kind of optimizations in Silverlight 3 that we should be aware of? Um, one that comes to my mind um, in terms of uh, things that people can start looking forward to is um, is sort of binary um, uh, binary serialization. If you're if you're if you've got a server that's um, running uh, ac.net, uh, as in dot, you've got .net code on the server, you've got .net code in Silverlight, uh, you can start making use of a of a binary serialization that will reduce both your uh, bandwidth and uh, serialization costs. Um, that's that's one interesting performance optimization. Uh, there's several in the in the UI space that yeah. in terms of hardware acceleration and uh, um, things along those lines as well. Um, right? Yeah. You have some stuff yeah. to add. I think there's more. I'm sure. There's yeah, more. there's definitely more. I mean, I think you're just getting in an area where Nikhil and I aren't the aren't the 
Okay. Yeah, people with, but yeah, I mean, so we're adding uh, hardware acceleration to a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, kind of core uh, rendering capabilities of, of Silverlight, and I think we'll see that uh, kind of open up some 3D-like behaviors that people are now able to do with with Silverlight. Neat. Um, uh, we've we announced before um, H.264, which I think will be really big in the video space to have a yeah. uh, have Silverlight be able to support that. So H.264 is an MPEG-4 standard for video compression uh, for for Part 10 or for MPEG-4 advanced video coding. I just wanted to make make sure everybody knew what we were talking about there. I I did have one more thing to add, uh, not so much in the media space but something that I think a lot of application developers will, uh, will love having the option, which is um, to be able to take parts of this app and deploy them as uh, separate libraries so that, they can be, uh, so that they can be cached for use across different applications, across different, um, across different applications, across different servers, in fact. So if you've got something in the SDK, uh, you don't have to download it with every Zap every time uh, an application runs. You can go download it once and have the, the platform, the Silhouette platform, go and cache it. Um, uh, for you. So that's, I think, something that people love. Um, yeah. Brad, you want to add yeah. some other nice features? Yeah, so uh, and then a couple of things. So um, UI to UI binding, so you can have, uh, you can data bind between two UI elements. Um, that's something WPF has that has been a big requested thing for Silverlight. Cool. Um, it reduces some of the need for code behind, uh, which, which we think helps out a lot. Um, and then there's just a whole litany of, of controls that uh, new controls that are available. Um, so charting and graphing is probably the most sexy one. Um, so we, we've uh, done a bunch of work on that. So you can have some really nice interactive charts in, in Silverlight. Um, and then there's also things like uh, we have a child window control, so you can now you know. You can now pop up a, a, a window that does a nice overlay, and you can drag the window around the screen. So that's interesting for a lot of business scenarios. Um, we have uh, autocomplete control, so you can start typing in, kind of get the uh, Google Suggest style behavior from within Silverlight, but with a lot of rich formatting associated with the list. Um, uh, I think that there's accordion control. Gosh, there's a lot of like there's a bunch of like a collapsing panel type of control. Right. Some uh, new layout um, options as well, um, and so there's just a, a slew of features really in terms of Silverlight three. So it's a it really is a major release. Yeah. Another another cool one just to mention is uh, is Blend is doing uh, a lot of work, and, and uh, you know I want to I won't go into it in too much depth, but what I'm really excited about is kind of getting some of the application design, like in the early prototyping, they're doing a lot of work and kind of a prototyping tool there to get conceptual ideas across. Uh, and, and you can do like a thousand different ideas very quickly, uh, wean them down to the right ones, and then go invest in actually building out the app. There's an interesting sort of dichotomy in the Silverlight space here. And, and I think Carl and I represent it very, very well, where he's really into the HD capabilities of Silverlight because he he is the video junkie and I'm still trying to build business apps with it. Right, exactly, yeah. Isn't that the strength of Silverlight though? That it can bring you two together? Because <laughs> <laughs> we have a tough time getting along. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 in all seriousness, I mean, I think Silverlight in some ways is a convergence of, of 
kind of what has been traditionally web domain and what's been traditionally client domain. It's a convergence of designer types with developer types. It's been a convergence of media and application. Um, and I think we're, we're that's a big strength of, of what we have. Uh, you know, consumer versus enterprise. Yeah, and I think those worlds are coming together. Um, uh, if not in terms of media, like you, you don't necessarily expect every business application to have suddenly media, but but some might. Um, but in general, your business applications are becoming a lot more usable, a lot more uh, engaging, and uh, you know, in, just fun to go look at, as opposed to kind of just do the the task at hand and don't even bother looking at the UI. I think these uh, that's changing, uh, and and user experience is becoming key. And so you have a platform that supports a, a very powerful range of options in terms of getting the right UX. Um, and now we're, you know, building out the, the sort of the traditional line of business kind of scenarios and making them really simple as well. Um, and so that's, that's just going to continue, and, and we're going to bring these things um, together. I'm still seeing folks really battling with what the right UX is. It, I don't feel like we've seen the reference apps for why we want this ultra-rich UI, like just the clearly, not just visually thrilling, but clearly superior way to work. Well, I've, th- I've seen a couple of them, but we don't see a lot of them. I actually totally agree. I mean, I was actually on the web yesterday looking for, uh, you know, interesting uh, Silverlight WPF designs, um, and it really is interesting. I think we're we're still in the early phases from that perspective. I think we need to develop the guidelines. We need to have the sort of the stock set of themes. We'll have a we'll have a good one for Silverlight. It'll be interesting to have a couple more. Um, and and most importantly, kind of like what works, what doesn't work. Um, I think I think we're still in the early phases, and I hope that with Silverlight three, uh, we'll start to see some of these things emerge, uh, where we've got developers and designers who are now both. Um, have have deeper understanding of the platform and can kind of come together and you know build that that sort of knowledge. I'm, I'm still thinking we need those sort of core UI metaphors, and the only one that I've seen people really latch onto so far is the new grid. Oh, the the new data grid, you mean? Or yeah, the, I think the richness of the new data grid. It's funny because it feels to me like we're we're going back to a very old UI paradigm. With it, with going very data grid centric, but also if you think about the what Billy Hollis did in WPF with the list boxes, by you know the sort yeah, of I was going to mention Billy Hollis's app. I think that's a good example. That's not you know it's he's using list boxes to do graphical notes that uh, that that sort of pop out when you click them. It doesn't look anything like a list, and and I imagine that there's going to be a lot of grid and list uh, centric. Um, things in Silverlight applications that aren't going to look like list boxes. Yeah, and I think lists are really powerful in terms of uh, combined with templating and styling, extremely powerful into getting interesting UIs and combining that with a layout system that Silverlight has, uh, which is extensible. So some really uh, neat uh, possibilities open up. The other things that were going on in Billy Hollis's app that I think are really interesting are um, just navigation, the whole notion of task-centric UI, so you can do a task, you don't have to finish it before you do a start another task. Uh, those are interesting things as well. Um, and if you think about combining that with uh, local storage, like isolated storage that you have, 
it just really opens up a lot of interesting ideas. And if you want to see what we're talking about, Billy Hollis's application, you can go to shrinkster.com slash 149i, 149i, shrinkster.com slash 149i. That'll bring you to DNR TV where uh, he showed off that application. Well, guys, we're just about down to the end of the show. Is there any uh, anything we left out that we want to just shove in there at the last minute? Uh, well, we hope uh, you uh, come join us at Mix. Um, we'll, we'll be talking more about our, our, our .NET RIA services and, and showing it off and, you know, starting uh, going public and obviously hearing a lot, hopefully hoping to hear a lot uh, from you guys. All right. Yeah, I, I just uh, would, would invite folks... Um, you know, to, to, to watch the sessions online, there's going to be a number of them that, that talk about Silverlight 3 and the, generally the .NET RIA services. And I, I, I'd also encourage you to engage with us as part of the design process here, especially on the .NET RIA services. We'd love to hear your feedback and scenarios, what's working, what's not working. I mean, I think the days of, of building software in a vacuum and just pushing them out are, are long gone now. We want we want a lot of really active participation in, in helping us make sure we're we're building the right thing. Excellent, Nikhil Katari, Brad Abrams. Thanks very much for uh, for joining us. Okay, thanks for having us. Thanks. And we'll see you at Mix, and we'll see you next time. Dynamics. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.